The views and opinions expressed on Unlock Your Wealth Radio are those of the host, guests, and callers only and are not necessarily the views of Unlock Your Wealth Radio, Heather Wagonalls, or Success Publishing International. More willpower than a barefoot woman at a shoe sale. Able to stretch a single paycheck for an entire month. Makes money concepts easier than third grade math. Introducing your purveyor of prosperity, Heather Wagonall. Work all day, stress all night. Take your mind off your money and focus on your life. Money don't matter for the stuff it bought. It's the way you think, not what you've got, yeah. Heather Wagonhalls here. This part of Unlock Your Wealth Radio is sponsored by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at unlockyourwealthradio.com forward slash free book and click on the link to over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Woo! I got it right. I'm on the correct show this time. Yeah, man. Heather Wagonhalls here, your purveyor of prosperity and my assistant... My lovely extraordinaire, my producer, my co-host, my my everything that <laughs> except for Jennifer stuff. <laughs> the maestro of Ula, Michael Terry. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, that would be the fabulous Michael Terry until he makes a mistake and I fire him. <laughs> yeah, so far so good. We'll see if we make it through another day of recording. We'll <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Uh, okay, so quiz question. This week's key. Create credit. Oh. Good job. Yeah. I'm impressed. Yes, we are in our ninth key in our Keys to Riches, Financial Philosophy. And this has become such a powerful segment that it's now its own show. So if you'd like to know what this week's key is and how to deploy it successfully to create credit and start building financial freedom, you must visit that website at keystoriches.com or just check out our Lipson channel and all of the shows will be on there as well. Um, And you can also find it at unlockyourwealthradio.com. But the Keys to Riches is specifically catering to that. And so you have a lot of key-related fun things that you don't have to sort through the regular shows for. So I encourage you to visit that. Oh, and you can also take the class, too. The video class is up there um, to get your Keys to Riches video introduction to the first level of the financial philosophy, Uh, So, which is the um, uh, financial literacy portion of of the uh, 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 broadcast. Then we go to financial fluency, and then we go to financial mastery. It's pretty amazing. Hmm. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so we have Moolah Words of the Day, and then we have some really powerful interviews from two of my friends from the Atlas Society. And uh, so we have two guests. We have Kim Ross dropping by, and that's the boy named Sue version of Kim Ross. Kim Sawyer Kim and Rosalind Ross. I'm not even yeah. getting the names right. So we got <sighs> one more time, please. So we have Kim Sawyer joining us from The Wealth Source, uh, and he's also a fellow objectivist and a financial coach and speecher. He's a wealth coach for businesses, which is pretty exciting, and entrepreneurs. And then Rosalind Ross is a fellow objectivist, professional speaker, and she's a writer and author, and she does kids' books and parenting books on on how to raise objective children. And so she's uh, pretty neat. So she'll be joining us here shortly, too. But first... Moolah Word of the Day. Moolah Word of the Day is ex-dividend. 
So if you've ever heard of that or the phrase that stock or that security or that bond is trading X dividend, it is when a security no longer carries the right to the most recently declared dividend. It's a period of time between the announcement of the dividend and the actual payment. A security becomes X dividend on the X dividend date, which is set by the National Association of Securities Dealers, known as the NASD. And it's usually two business days before the record date set by the company issuing the dividend. For transactions during the dividend period, the seller, not the buyer, will receive the dividend. X dividend is usually indicated in newspapers with an X next to the stock or mutual fund's name. In general, a stock price drops the day the X dividend period starts, which makes sense because you're not going to get a big check. So it's a little bit lower. It's not mm-hmm. It's not as much value because everybody just got paid Yeah, sort of thing. So it's just kind of a natural thing in the market. So for that couple of days, if you have to have a stock and you're trying to capitalize on that drop in the stock, you know, the seller keeps the income, so to speak. You know, so it's just like uh, when you buy rental property with a tenant in it. Uh, so that's another comparison that you can make. Okay. They would keep the rent for the period that the, the tenant lived there. And then you would then start collecting after closing, the day after closing. So if you think about it, the dividend pays. Um, and once it's declared, there's a couple of days where it would trade without that dividend on it. It's a really neat word. So let's start with our first interview of our two interviews today of our objectivist interviews. And these are ones that I did during the Atlas Society Summer Summit and Freedom Fest. And our first guest is going to be Rosalind Ross. And she is an amazing author. I, um, I've actually bought her parenting book. It was kind of funny as soon as, you know, we were looking at it when we were doing the actual interview. And I was like, oh, yeah, I bought your book. <laughs> I bought your book. And I've given it to parents, friends of mine. And, and it was really funny because our camera woman, Jennifer, was just like, hey, I took that book out of Heather's house. And I'm like, is that where my other copy went? Wow. <laughs> yeah. So she wrote an amazing parenting book on objectivist parenting. But now she's taken on the big challenge of converting these crazy old uh, fairy tales into up-to-the-date, new-age objective parenting style books that you want to communicate an objective message and she talks about those books um, and it's really interesting um, because she talks about the evolution of like the three little pigs and then she talks about her version of the three little pigs and you'll see the comparison and infinitely why hers is so much better I think (laughs) well no I'm serious you're going to love this interview it's great great when we have interviews in the past so I can speak of them in retrospect because I know what's going to happen and so I kind of want to get you all excited. So, yeah. so you're going to learn how her three little pigs are better. And she's in the process of updating all kinds of other kids' books. And I think it's just wonderful what Very she's up cool. to. Yes, and so and she's an amazing speaker, and she's just dropped it gorgeous. And I mean, who wouldn't want her to be her mom? Her son's really lucky. Um, she has uh, expatriated, which is kind of interesting in her journey to build wealth. Her and her husband moved to Caracas. Um, Venezuela. Yes. And, you know, and Venezuela is in a hep load of trouble these days, but they're in a really interesting place. They have a sustainable farm that they live on and stuff and they make money and they're actually able to accomplish their financial goals for uh, their retirement and financial freedom better there than here in the U.S., interesting enough. And so they expatriated. 
that. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. So we're going to hear so many neat things with her story here. So um, let's uh, bring on the interview and let's take a listen to my interview at Freedom Fest and the Atlas Society with author and professional speaker Rosalind Ross. Heather Wagonhall is here, host of Unlock Your Wealth Radio and Unlock Your Wealth TV. And we are broadcasting live from Freedom Fest. And we are actually in the Atlas Society booth. As you know, for my regular viewers, I am a huge fan and an objectivist. And I love David Kelly. And I also love our guest today. And this is Rosalind Ross. She is author of this fabulous parenting book. And she has a new book out that we're going to talk about today. Rosalind, welcome to the show. Thank you. So how did you get inspired uh, to follow objectivism? Um, well, I was having lunch with my, my grandfather's best friend was Cheryl Ladd when I was younger, and I was oh. having lunch with them when I was 15, and I told her I wanted, how I wanted to save the world, and by save the world, I meant um, support poor people, devote my life to being their slave, and she said, my God, Bill, you need to buy this girl, Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> so, so my grandfather bought me Atlas Shrugged, and I read it, and it saved my life, literally. Outstanding. How old were you at the time? I was 15. Nice. See, I read it at 12, so <laughs> that's awesome. So we're two peas in the same pod. So uh, practicing objectivism is a difficult task as, as a person, uh, but I think that taking that task to the next level um, and spreading that is even a bigger, greater challenge, and yet you were able to write an entire book on a theory of objectivist parenting. How did you come up with the idea to write the book? Well, Ayn Rand told me through her work uh, that if you're going to be if you're going to be a mom, you should take it that career as seriously as any other career. Um, so I did, and I graduated from college and I studied child development. I read um, close to a thousand books on the subject of children and philosophy and brain development, epistemology, and stuff like that. And um, and then I worked as a behavior modification specialist for wealthy families and um, fixed things they didn't like about their children. And during all those years, my whole goal was, how would children be raised in Galt's Gulch? If this were Galt's Gulch, how would parents be behaving? Is this, is what, child, is this what the children would be like? And so I played this game with, with my husband for, for all of these years that I was doing this. And um, by the end of it, and I, and I started off with one idea of what parenting would be like in Galt's Gulch, and parents would be firm and consistent and clear, and their children would be so well-behaved. And what I learned over the process of of my job was that that is actually the opposite of how objectivist parents would be. And I wanted to share that with other objectivists who didn't have the opportunity to read as many books or work in the field for so many years. So give me one or two highlights of the book that you think uh, really define objectivist parenting. Objectivist parents are the heroes they want to see in their children. And they, they um, see their real children. In, this is reality. It's not, um, they, and they don't hide reality from their children. But that's my next book. In this book, Yay. it's mostly about how to respect children because it's hard to understand how to do that. Um, we're not raised in a culture that respects children. We're raised in a culture that says, be a benevolent nanny, be a supreme dictator to your child, and uh, warmly, warmly, be warm. Be warm. <laughs> and we end up with a government that tries to be a warm nanny to but us. Yes. And, and then we're surprised as to why. Where does that come from? But, but, but how can that be when we there's no child left behind? Oh, wait a minute. Is that just hyperbole? <laughs> Some rhetoric for the politicians to gather another vote? Yeah. It's, okay. 
Well, you have another book that I'm really excited with. So here in this book, you talk to the parents, but you have another book where you talk to the children. Let's talk right. about that book. So this is my new book, okay. um, The Three Little Pigs. I don't know if you guys know this, but if you read The Three Little Pigs today, um, the two lazy pigs who built the stick house and the straw house, they no longer get eaten by the wolf. <gasps> they move in with the pig that built the brick house, who is happy to support them. So that new socialist paradigm. Wait, it gets better. The little red hen, mm-hmm. she no longer bakes the bread and eats it all by herself. She shares it with uh, the other animals who were lazy and did not help her. And the grasshopper no longer dies either in The Ant and the Grasshopper. So I'm pretty disturbed by children's books and I couldn't find good I'm ones. I'm disturbed. I'm upset now. It's really disturbing. You a physiological response to this. No, you think indoctrination is happening in college or in high school? Oh, oh no. no. Propaganda starts at the kid level. Oh, yeah. All right, so t- tell us about the, your version, the objectivist version of Three Little Pigs. Well, um, so first of all, my pigs are named Hillary, Carl, and Ludwig. And, oh, uh, <laughs> Ludwig, I love it. Got a little von Mises going. <laughs> that was fun for me. Inside joke for the parents. Okay, yes. what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read, I'll read the chorus. Okay. Um, so this is what Ludwig says when he sees Hillary's house. He says, That will not hold when the winter winds blow. For better or for worse, we will reap the life we sow. We live in the north where the great wolves howl. To survive, we must plan with such, with such beasts on the prowl. We will face the effects of the choices we make. We must choose wisely, for our lives are at stake. And my son has that oh, memorized. Wait, I, I want to read bobs. the moral at the end. If you want to survive, you must plan and prepare. Build your life with a strong foundation, with hard work and care. If you want to thrive, prepare even more. As one thing is certain, troubles will come to your door. The choice to be lazy must be seen with clear eyes. When it comes to survival, the choice is only live or die. I love that. I got so. goosebumps. That's Thank amazing, Rosalyn. Well, it's um, so now. This is available now in bookstores. Uh, Amazon.com. Amazon.com. Outstanding. Yeah. Bookstores wouldn't carry that. No. Maybe they- <laughs> Well, hopefully they wouldn't, you know, it, the kids that work there don't read, so they wouldn't even know the difference, probably. Right, right. Oh, did I say that? <laughs> Whoops! <laughs> oh, and in some versions of The Three Little Pigs today, the wolf that comes to their door with the intent mm-hmm. to, uh, to kill them, they invite him in for dinner. And they oh, all yeah. happily have a barbecue. Well, we should all break bread with the enemy, mm-hmm. shouldn't we? we should. <laughs> Not. Well, no. so tell me, you have an, another book. You mentioned, you're, you alluded to, this is about respecting so I, children. I have quite a few um, kids' books in the works because I have a lot to redo. Um, yeah. and, and, and not just redo, but do them well. Realign. Realign. And it's not, I don't want to have to go and buy a book that's 100 years old just to get the right moral, but I wanted to do better than the books mm-hmm. that were 100 years old. I wanted to make the song, the chorus part, something mm-hmm. that you memorize. My son has this one memorized and that can guide you throughout your life and I, that for me is beautiful but I'm also working my next book my next book for parents will be Raising Children in Reality because I think it's hard for parents to to do that to understand how much we lie to children and how much we prevent them from interacting with reality and make th- reality is what enables you to make good conclusions about your life and if you ever think your kids are dumb they probably just lack information and parents are the number one thing in the way of children getting the information they need to make good decisions. So absolutely, and, you know, and I just the minute you said that about reality, I think about how we label anatomical body parts with these silly things. Yeah, you know, like teeter buttons, and and you're like, yeah. well, okay, yeah. but th- th- how does that help them? It no. it, it helps the parents uh, say a word that they're uncomfortable with because they're they're not. In, in well, alignment it, with their it, own it, anatomy, and it teaches the children to be uncomfortable with their anatomy. I mean, the whole if you're if you're uncomfortable. 
your child is going to get that and think, okay, this is something that should be uncomfortable. And, but, and, and one of the things I had to do in, when I was working uh, as a behavior modification specialist was work with kids who couldn't potty train. And I can tell you, you, know, you want to know when you take your kid to a therapist, a special therapist to help them potty train, mm-hmm. it's that therapist is just going to talk straight to your kid about body parts, about what happens, about mm-hmm. pooping and peeing. Parents, some parents don't even do that. They take it that far. And it's unfortunate, you know, um, because um, anybody can have a child. <laughs> you don't have to qualify. There's no training. There's no licensing process. there's no process. punishment. There's no, I mean, there's no... Um, Only in extreme there, there's cases. There's no consequence. No, there's no consequence. If you have a child and you're like, wow, I can't afford this, there's no real consequence today. Yeah, it's unfortunate. But I'm so glad that you're fighting the good fight and trying to make a difference by spreading objectivism at the place that it's most readily accepted. Nobody's going to challenge it because, you know, kids are blank slates. Yeah. You know, tabula rasa is so beautiful. And then, you know, uh, when, when they go to reach for information, it, once their prefrontal cortex starts developing and they start making reasoning and, and logic decisions, they're going to have accurate information to make those decisions on. Because, you know, people say, oh, you're just not a good decision maker. It's not whether or not somebody is a good decision maker. They can only make an effective decision based on the information they have. And if that is a, starts off with a false premise... Yeah then you're going to get crappy results every time. Well, and values. They need values. Our children need values before they're five, mm-hmm. and they get it from literature. And that's, that's an important time is to be able to read at that time. Well, you know, I have a nephew that's uh, just growing up, um, and he's two now, so I want your books. <laughs> well, awesome. you sign me up. I want to be at the top of the list. Put, awesome. me, on, put me on the uh, the manuscript receipt for editing. I'll, do your, I'll be your proofreader. Okay. okay. <laughs> That'll be great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We'll look forward to it. Do you have a website where people can get a hold of you or your books outside yeah, first, of Amazon? Thank you for having me, and you're gorgeous. Um, <laughs> my pleasure. And, um, second of all, yeah, roslynross.com, and that'll direct you to my YouTube channel, um, uh, which is Roslyn Ross and my blog, which is roslynross.blogspot.com. And um, on Twitter, I'm Roslyn at the farm, but I don't tweet often. On Facebook, I am Raising Children is an Act of Philosophy, the page. Outstanding. Well, thank you so much. This segment of Unlock Your Wealth Radio is sponsored in part by KeepMyID.org, the only service that actually prevents identity theft. All others are just monitoring services. Put your credit on lockdown for Unlock Your Wealth Radio listeners by visiting our website at unlockyourwealthradio.com forward slash KeepMyID and put your credit on lockdown and begin to protect your financial future right now. Remember to use promo code WAGS. Wasn't that a great interview with Rosalind? And she has fabulous hair. Oh, really? <clears throat> yes. I didn't get to see that. Yeah, the TV interview looks really good because I've got my long red hair and she's got her long blonde hair. Oh. So, yeah. So we're two like long haired objectives. That. I know you blew it. But if you go to the Five Days of Freedom Fest on YouTube, which clearly you don't watch the YouTube channel <laughs> for this show, you would find that out. But anyway, so now I had another opportunity to go from one objectivist. We're going to go to another objectivist and another dear friend of mine. I just adore this man. His name is Kim Sawyer. Like, you know, Johnny Cash is a boy named Sue. So we got a boy named Kim here. Anyway, Kim is amazing. So um, when Kim is in front of you, people are guaranteed a new way of thinking about something and a tool to put it into action immediately. With over 20 years of experience in 
professional and business effectiveness, leadership, and entrepreneurship, Kim Sawyer delivers powerful keynote presentations designed to help executives, managers, and entrepreneurs tap into their true source of wealth. Drawing on his success as an executive coach, he teaches individuals and teams to increase profit, win promotions, align individual and company values and strategy, and accelerate the ramp up to peak performance. And guess what? What's that? He's also a guest on our show. There you go. <laughs> so here I would like to feature um, our guest, Kim Sawyer. He's a personal friend of mine, as well as an amazing wealth coach. And this is our interview from Freedom Fest. And he was one of the um, speakers at the Atlas Society Summer Summit as well. So let's welcome Kim to the show. Heather Wagonhalls here, host of Unlock Your Wealth Radio and Unlock Your Wealth TV, and we are broadcasting live from Freedom Fest, and I'm so excited to be spending time with one of my favorite people and speakers, and we have Kim Sawyer here. Kim, welcome to Unlock Your Wealth Radio. Thank you, Heather. Good to be here. I am so glad to have you on. So, we met a year ago, and we met at the Atlas Society Summer Summit, and I took your presentation on the technology of celebration. I remember. And so, so I've spoken of this throughout the year in, in my broadcasts and about the importance of that. But we actually have in our Keys to Riches financial philosophy a point where we make sure when we do our review, revise, we reward and then recommit to the cause because we have to celebrate the little victories along the way to keep us engaged and it because of our biology and the way the brain works and, and we're essentially reward driven towards pleasure away from pain creatures. And if we continually deny ourselves, we never get to that point. Talk to us about your view of the technology of celebration and why achievement is so important to recognize. So it's beyond just achievement. Um, celebration is about recognizing value. You know, wealth is accumulated value, right? Yes. And if I want to create value and create more value, I need to focus deliberately my attention on what's valuable in my life and what's valuable that I do. Because that gives me the spiritual recharge mm -hmm. to create value as a way of living. And if I don't focus on, and this is the critical thing, if I don't deliberately focus on value, because value doesn't come up and grab me and say, celebrate me. <laughs> but everything that goes wrong and everything I do that's mistaken or doesn't go well, it grabs me. You know how that works. Oh, yeah. The things that threaten my well-being grab my survival mechanism and imprint me with a powerful recollection of the breakdown or of the failure. And that alone will gradually distort my whole view of myself and my world to the negative. Yeah. And that undermines my effectiveness. I don't create value as well when I'm not attentive to the value in my life. So how do I break the hold, that natural, unavoidable distortion that comes from our survival mechanism? I force myself to look at what's valuable, even if it feels like I'm faking it. Because what happens is the tunnel vision that comes from my survival mechanism on the thing that's a problem, so the whole world is now a problem, as soon as I force myself to look at something I did well... I break that and I widen my context again and I see the problem hasn't gone away, but it's just this and my life is all of that. Celebration is a critical survival tool. I love that. I love that about the work that you do. Uh, your um, motto uh, that I really, really enjoy, it's, you have it at the bottom of all of your emails, and it says, everybody we touch is wealthier. Walks away or wealthier. walks away wealthier. Yes, indeed. So forgive me for making no, it. No, it's all right. <laughs> I, I know it real well. <laughs> Thank goodness one of us does. 
So uh, that's, uh, tell me how that drives you and that your mission and, and explain a little bit about what you do as a wealth coach. Okay. So I am an executive and business coach. I work with people to be better athletes in their businesses and professional lives. Whether the company's hiring me to work with their executives or whether the entrepreneur's hiring me to work with them directly. People are successful to the extent that they create wealth in their life. People are successful to the extent that they have what they value in as large an amount as possible in every possible form of in their life. So my work is to help people function in a way that creates maximum value for every moment that they're engaged. Okay? So I am passionate about creating value. I believe that's my purpose on the planet is to create value. And if the work I do helps people realize at every moment that they're thinking, living, breathing, and acting, they're making a choice. And are they choosing the more valuable way of using that moment or the less valuable way? And that's the essence of the work I do with people as a coach. It's pretty amazing stuff. So with all that you've done over the years as a wealth coach, what do you think people's biggest hang-up is? Is there, there like a, maybe if you have a top two or top three that, where people get hung up, where they start maybe this cyclical self-sabotage and then they break out of it, but then it gets stuck again. And I got to get a little bit yeah. it's, it's actually pretty simple. Mm-hmm. And it's the same for almost everyone I work with who's a successful, highly engaged person. They do not take ownership of their own time and energy and focus and attention. They let it get co-opted by the next incoming demand. They let other people's urgencies and priorities become their own. They aren't even clear on what's more valuable and less valuable. And they don't take a moment to stop and consider before they re-engage. So I talk about take a break from being busy to be busy better. I like that, to be busy better. Be busy better. I have to stop doing to improve my process of doing so I get more done. And part of that is figuring out how to own what I'm paying attention to, what I'm doing, what I'm focusing on. I've got to learn to build my clients. I have to work with them to learn how to create discretionary time, money, energy in their life so they can be choosing what they do with it. Everyone is maxed to the hilt. And there's not a moment to work toward the future. They're just constantly reacting and responding and surviving the present situation. I like how you said choosing. Because when I look at it, you know, once you get into that, I'm just a firefighter running to the next emergency to douse that next fire, as opposed to to actively making conscious choices, but we're just reacting instinctively in our survival mode that that we lose all of our effectiveness. And we lose a little part of ourselves when we can't actively choose. And now, you know, we're being manipulated by others. Although we're the ones that are permitting it to happen. Thank you. Um, But but we subjugate our needs and, and our own drives for the greater good, whatever that might be. Um, under the auspices that we're making a difference. But I always say, if we don't stop and refill our pitcher, how are we going to be effective at filling others' cups if we're empty? Well, and here's the thing. What gets most people in trouble is they're not willing to say no. Yeah, they They're not willing to say no. And most of the time, it's because they don't want to face the discomfort of somebody not approving what they're doing or not liking them. If I don't take on the thing you want me to do and I say, no, I'm not choosing to do that, or I'm not choosing to spend time with you, I'm going to spend time over here instead, people don't like it and they get mad at me and they don't approve of what I'm doing and most people avoid that discomfort. 
Yeah. And so they don't choose because they don't want to have to de- feel. Mm-hmm. And when you talk a lot about dealing with emotion, mm-hmm. they don't want to feel the disapproval of somebody that doesn't like their choice. Mm-hmm. So they withdraw. They abdicate yeah. choice. Well, yes. And I think that that's just probably the worst thing that we can ever do for ourselves. My biggest challenge uh, with that is that um, we're worried about uh, or seeking approval in others. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I could care less if you like me, but if I stand up for myself, whether or not you like me, you'll at least respect me. Yes. Because if that you know, a yes that becomes a no because I get too harried or too busy is not as valuable as me saying no up front, acknowledging the fact that I have limited resources and I unfortunately can't give them to you right now. And I think that there's a level of respect there um, as opposed to saying yes, you know, under the auspices of worrying about disappointing them and then dragging out the disappointment because I think that no is information that I can use. And all of that is great. It is wonderful reasoning, and people can always think that through after the moment of emotional reaction, right? And the work you do is talking to people about managing that emotional reaction so they stay in a place of choice. So the ability, the skill to learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. I love that phrase. Okay. If people can learn to manage that discomfort and still make the choice that creates greatest value for themselves and everyone involved, they win the game at the end of the day. Well, I think that sometimes that we confuse what is true discomfort, like touching a hot stove, that's discomfort. Mm-hmm. Okay. But disappointing somebody, that's not discomfort. Yeah. Most of the time, what's interesting is it's mainly my resistance to the expectation or prediction that there might be discomfort, right? And the anxiety of what might happen that people resist. Um, Malcolm Gladwell said in his book, um, uh, I can't think of it, but what he said is... Outliers? Yes. Anxiety is practicing failure in advance. Oh my gosh, I love that. Isn't that brilliant? Practicing failure in advance. Probably not even going to happen. But I'm busy altering my whole course and rearranging my values because maybe, just maybe, you might not like what I'm going to say. So I don't say it. And we all lose. Exactly. There's a, there's a, there's a value proposition and everyone loses Yes. when, when that opportunity is Well, and as Ayn Rand says, nobody ever gains from anything other than reality. So well said. Well, thank you so much for being a part of today's show, Kim. And for those of you who want to get more information, just visit our website at unlockyourwealthradio.com where you can find more information about Kim and links to his website and so much more. For Kim Sawyer, I'm Heather Wagonhalls. Now go out and unlock your wealth today. Unlockyourwealthradio.com is produced by Heather Wagonhalls and the Unlock Your Wealth Foundation. UnlockYourWealthRadio.com and its affiliates are copyrighted 2016 with all rights reserved. For more information on the Keys to Riches Financial Wellness Series, please visit our website at www.unlockyourwealth.com.